It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, and I can't believe it's Friday already. It's been a fast, fast, and busy week here, and uh, I don't know if it's been the same for you, but wow, I'm uh, I'm excited because we're one week closer to spring, and I don't want to wish time away, but when spring is in sight, and I can see, man, it's not that many days left until we'll be able to be out in the field, I get pretty excited. I hope you do too. All right, so on Farmer Friday, we have our phone lines open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we also take your emails and, and try to answer questions throughout the show at radio at agphd.com. I'm going to dive right in to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! I always give Brian a hard time because, man, it takes forever sometimes to get him to answer these mailbag questions. Like, come on, Brian, uh, quit Quit talking about drainage tile or quit talking about potassium. Let's dive into some mailbag questions. And so I thought we'd get into it right away. First one comes from George over in Bulgaria. And he said, I got a boron question for you guys. So I sowed my winter wheat in October and did plant analysis in December. And from there, I found everything is in its parameter except for boron. It's five parts per million when the recommendation is to be at 12 parts per million in the tillering phase, according to Midwest Labs. That, that would make it a deficiency. Now, in the soil, there's actually 2.5 to 3 parts per million boron. The temperature hasn't fallen below zero, and before seeding the wheat, I applied 7 pounds per acre of a 17.5% active ingredient boron product. So that would equate to 1.225 pounds per acre of actual boron. Last year, my boron content in the soil was only 0.7%. And the, I'm sorry, 0.7 parts per million. And the leaf sample was exactly the same as it was this year, five parts per million of boron and a deficiency. So I've got four times more boron in the soil with the same level in the plant. I'm wondering why. It seems like there's plenty of boron in the soil, but the plant could not absorb it. All right, George, thanks for the question. And yeah, this has been an interesting one, tracking boron. So we've done a lot of plant tissue analysis on our farm, and and we have, just like you, we've been building up our boron levels in our soil. Uh, now, for some of you that are listening, you say, what? Building up boron levels in the soil? Can't do it. It's heavy soil. It's ground that, that can freeze and heavy ground with, with good or organic material. And we can actually hold boron. If you're in a high rainfall area or have very light soil, it's tough to hold boron. I get that. Uh, but but George is not in that situation. So George is building up boron in the soil. We found that to be a good way to get more boron in our crop if we get rain. If we get rain, we get boron uptake. Now, I'm not sure how timely the rainfall has been for you, George. And here's one of the things. Boron is kind of a building block in your plant. So we see boron throughout the plant. Uh, obviously, we, we have more showing up on tissue tests and um, we see more boron in the plant oftentimes once we get to reproductive stages and many times we see levels that aren't quite as good as we think we should have earlier and then here's the other thing with the rainfall we often see that only impact one or maybe two leaves so it doesn't last for very long we get a nice influx of boron and then we don't again. And since it is kind of a building block, it builds up in those tissues where where we had rain to get it into. And now with new leaves coming out, we may be a little bit short. So that may be what you see going on. I would just continue testing. What we always talk about with plant tissue analysis is it's not the one-day look. That's just a snapshot of what today is. 
we look at it on a weekly basis on our farm to see, okay, what's our trend and, and how is that moving around? And with boron, that's been one that's bounced around on our farm. So I'm not super worried about it, George. I like what you're doing in the soil, and I think it'll show up in terms of yield and your boron content overall through the season. Uh, thanks for the question, George. Really appreciate it, and, and good luck to you. All right, had a comment come in from Keith who who didn't like uh, when we were talking about organic matter, and he said, you guys had made a comment, organic matter is predominantly built from roots breaking down in the soil. Uh, I disagree. The buildup of organic matter next to roots is a combination of bacteria, fungi, and root exudates. The roots exude organic materials, which we talk about all the time, to feed bacteria and fungi. In exchange, the fungi and bacteria supply minerals to the plants. Again, that's a symbiotic relationship that often we do talk about, so we totally agree with you on that, Keith. He said, the plants will become healthier as the soils increase microbial life and become more fungal dominant. This is something we hear a lot of speakers talk about, so I, I like that you're bringing this point up, Keith, uh, that, that our soils have a balance between fungi and bacteria. And Keith makes a point that I've heard uh, a number of others make that weeds thrive in bacterial dominant soils. And when we think about soil health and just some of the long-term things you can do in your fields, if you get things right, uh, oftentimes, yeah, yes, you can get to a, a situation where you don't have very many weeds coming through. And Keith is saying, hey, if you can get your soils to be more fungal dominant, that's a big deal. And as you improve organic matter, you improve the levels of fungi which also help you inhibit the growth of weeds. Hey, Keith, thanks for the comments. Really appreciate it. And, and yeah, you know, we try to, we try to uh, make things as simple as we can on the show. And, you know, when we say we're building up organic matter as these roots are breaking down, certainly there's so many living things in the soil, uh, the bacteria, the fungi, uh, and, and as you point out, all these root exudates as well that are going to break down and uh, help build up the organic matter. Appreciate the comment. All right, this next one comes in from uh, Doug. Why is a warm germination on seed done at 77 degrees and not closer to 50 degrees like my soil temp when I plant my corn? Hey, great question, Doug. Uh, when we're doing lab tests for warm germ, the standard practice has been doing them at 77 degrees and leaving them for a week, and that figures out to be enough growing degree units to get everything to germinate and get growing. So I think it's it's... I guess I, I don't know how those standards were developed, but I will say this. They're just trying to speed up the process so they can get a snapshot of what takes two or three weeks oftentimes out in your field. They want to see it in a week. And to keep your costs down, they do it at a temperature where they can see it happen a little bit faster. So I agree. I, I, I wonder about that, and I wonder how accurate that is all the time. But, man, it actually has been pretty accurate to, to what's happened in the field. So with all their ground truthing their testing methods they found that to be pretty accurate to what's going to happen so i would trust them at that and then i'd say this if you're planting and the soils are cold you're just going to have to take a few extra steps with fungicide insecticide and good seed treatment to fight those conditions stay tuned what do you think of when you hear palmer amaranth or water hemp if you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields you don't have to think about them at all with two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. 
Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other toughweeds pre and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum acres. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Pretty simple. All right, let's get back to the phone lines here. Got Mike on with us over in Illinois. Mike, you got the planter all ready? You getting fired up two months away from rolling? Well, I'm fired up, but right now I'm moving some snow out of the way to let it, <laughs> let it melt. Oh, no. Well, see, I, th- I wonder if the good Lord gives us snow during the winter just to keep us busy so we aren't too anxious about, uh, uh, man, I can't wait to get out in the field. Ah, you got some got some work ahead of me first. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I've been uh, working on planting a little bit, putting a few parts on here and there, and just kind of looking things over. Hey, you mentioned the planter parts, and I know for our own farm, we've had to run a little further than we normally would. Uh, there have been a few things our local guys haven't had, and they've said, man, we got another store that's 50 miles away, got to run over there to grab it, or we'll have them send it up here, that kind of thing. Have you run into those kind of situations where you're at? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've had to look at some secondhand suppliers to, to get some things, and some things have been on back order, and uh, they say it might be, you know, weeks for some of this. So I, you know, I, luckily it's nothing that it's just, you know, nothing that has to be repaired, replaced right now, but I can get along without it, but surely I'll have it by spring. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, got another question for you. Since it's cold and you're out there pushing snow with the tractor, uh, what kind of fuel are you running? There's been, been a lot of talk and, and some guys switching over to some different alternatives here, but just wondering what, well, what I've guys been do. using. I've been using the the, bio, the biofuel eleven percent, and I've had good luck with it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was curious about. Uh, yeah. I would assume in the past it used to be a, a blend or even some straight number one if it got really cold. Yeah, I got, I haven't added to that. I add to the tank when it's real cold, but usually if it got cold, I'm not out doing anything, so I don't have to worry about that gelling up too much. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's I, it. Just brings me back to to growing up when we had livestock. So we were always worried about man, we're gonna keep everything running out there to get all our chores right. done. 
I've been there before, so I remember those days. Yvette, Yvette, so what's the crop mix look like this year? Are you a 50-50 guy with corn and beans, or are you shifting around with market prices and opportunities? No, I'm still going to stay 50-50. I, uh, you know, the prices are pretty good for each one, and you just don't know what the year is going to bring. So staying 50-50 kind of keeps it on the even keel, I feel. Yeah, we've been talking about marketing and and how do we deal with risk. And you know, one of the things that we've always done is crop rotation because it keeps us honest a little bit. If if we get yeah. the wrong spring, uh, we may have to shift acres one way or the other. But um, I, I don't know. I, I'm really intrigued by some of these prices and opportunities that we got right now. With as high as input costs are, may lock in a little bit more of the price than I normally would. But are you changing anything up about it in terms of marketing? Well, usually I don't sell anything ahead of time. This time of the year, I usually wait till May or June, but uh, I'm right there to put some offers in for fall, and, you know, if it hits, it hits. So Yeah. <laughs> well, can't hardly, can't hardly ignore it. My dad always used to say, if you got your dream price out there, man, you're crazy not to take it. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I also wasn't really counting on nitrogen being over a buck a pound, so I'm not That's sure how true. good my dream price <laughs> is going to be. <laughs> I was just figuring out some of my prepay this morning and looking compared to what it was last year, and it's about, oh, everything's about 30% higher over the board. Wow, wow, yep. Yeah. Well, what do you see about cash rent in your area then? Is that kind of done the same thing? Well, I've heard some guys kind of giving up some ground because of some high cash rents, and uh, I, I don't know. Then You know, they're not, they're just looking at the corn, price of corn and beans, but they're not looking at what we're paying for it, the inputs, so. Everybody's wanting higher, what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're hearing some of the same stuff here too, and and I, yeah. I agree with you. I've, I've talked to guys that have given up some ground this year, and and my first thought was, "What are you crazy? You got a good chance to make money this year." And then they told me what the cash rent was going to be, and I said, "Oh, well, I don't really blame you on that yeah. either. I might have some sticker shock." Yeah, yeah. I just heard of a four twenty five yesterday, so that's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, and I know, um, you know, when my grandparents were alive and they would talk about how much they paid for some of this ground, I mean, I'm sure in some cases that's more than the original price of the ground. Yeah, exactly. And, but, you know, it was as hard to do it back then as it was now, so. Yeah, always challenges, no doubt about that. Uh, speak about new challenges, Mike. Did you see any of the tar spot in your area? And if so, what are you doing to, to manage that one? Well, I had some uh, corn when we looked at it, and we weren't seeing any of it. And I had some neighbors around said they had some. So it seemed like around here it was more uh, dependent on the varieties that you had. Okay. Okay, so kind of hit and miss. Yeah. There was just a few instances of it that people said, but I, we all looked at mine and couldn't find any, so I was good there. So. Yeah, it's it's been one of those things. We've had so many questions on this year, and I agree with you. There's There's certainly a difference in hybrids. Uh, fortunately, some of yeah. these fungicides are working pretty well, but man, they're fussy yeah. on timing, so it's it's not yeah. easy. And I plant a plot every year, so I kind of keep an eye on that. And then for the next year, I'm I'm buying those hybrids that have a little better health, so so I try to stay away from that tar spot and those kinds of things. Yep, yep. Well, I think it's a good idea to do trial work on your own farm. It's it's really nice yes. having your own data. It's a lot of work, but it pays in the end. Yeah, well, it is extra work, and it sounds like you got a little extra work now with the snow. We're catching a lot of wind. Unfortunately, it's probably heading your way. You'll probably get it tomorrow. 
Well, we had about a half inch of rain overnight, and, and these fields are flooded. The ground was frozen. That water hasn't gone in, and there's ponds and lakes, water running everywhere. Huh. Yeah, we had a little rain yesterday, too. We got uh, a tenth or two, not a not a big deal, but uh, we got enough big cracks out there on the ground that I don't see any puddles. Yeah, well, I, we got that 10-inch snow, and it's melting off and making a mess. Yeah, it's it's always one of those things in the spring. Well, well, we'll welcome some moisture. So if you get some more, you can you can just send it out this way, Mike. <laughs> well, we were pretty dry actually, been all winter. So so this is kind of a we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck here as you as you head closer towards spring. All right, thanks, Darren. Had a couple of questions come in about our. Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, and that's one that that a lot of folks are really watching closely this year. How many pounds of nutrients do I actually need to produce my crop, and where can I cut back? Because man, I don't have to tell anybody that fertilizer has been expensive. Uh, this one comes in from CP. Uh, Says I'm not in the United States. Uh, in my country, we're using hectares rather than acres. And I just downloaded your app. I'm looking at the nutrition estimates for my yield goal, but I just wanted to confirm with you how those numbers are are created here. Uh, the estimates are given. Uh, and I'm wondering, are they in terms of acres, or how would I convert them over to hectares? Actually, CP, they're they're just in bushels or metric tons. So when you look at, just say you're looking at corn, and you type in, oh, I'm going to shoot for 200 bushel corn, just so we're looking at the same numbers here. Let me pull this up. Um, 200 bushel corn. Okay, and then you would see a number like, on phosphate, it'll say 70 pounds for the grain, 32 pounds for the stover, 102 total pounds. That's what it'll take to raise 200 bushels. Now, if you're raising 200 bushels per hectare, well, that's how much you'd put on per hectare. Um, so I just figure out whatever you're raising per hectare and then type that number in for your goal in bushels and go from there. So you'll get bushels per hectare rather than bushels per acre or anything like that. You're just going to get the pounds needed to produce the bushel. Or if you do um, the metrics, then you get the metric tons needed. So with corn and that same, um, well, now it's 200 tons. That's not going to be accurate. But uh, just say, I don't, I'm not sure what you're raising, but say it's 25 tons. Uh, well, that would be a big number too. You'd have 230 pounds of total phosphate for 25 metric tons of corn. Hope that helps, CP. Uh, thanks for downloading the app. And, and if you get any further questions uh, with crop production, we'd love to help you. So just let us know. Uh, got a question from Matt down in Texas. And I'll, I'll open this up and we'll we'll catch it right after the break. Uh, same thing, Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. And, and Matt's got questions. He said, so the fertility removal values for corn grain, as an example, for pounds of nitrogen, phosphate, K2O, potassium, sulfur, based on the user target corn yield, assumed to be at a standardized corn moisture, or are they on a dry weight basis? Uh, actually, that would be on the standardized corn moisture. So um, regardless of what your, your moisture is, uh, or at 15% moisture, that's what you'd be taking out. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
Three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping Dad. And Dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio on a Farmer Friday today. And man, we are inside. It's a perfect 70 degrees in here. And, you know, no big deal. No stress here. We aren't like out pulling calves or anything uh, like our friend Marty may be down in Kansas. Marty, how's it going? Well, so far, so good. I'm sitting in the house watching reruns of Dallas, waiting on this heifer to calves. So it's warm in the house anyway. How, uh, how are you coming with calving? Good. We're about half finished. We got, uh, last week was a little tough. We had some snow and cold weather, but, you know, it only lasted three or four days, so we didn't have to poke around for two weeks like we did last year. So Sure, sure. Okay, so we got a lot of non-farm listeners to our show, and they're always curious about things like this when we talk about, oh, man, uh, Marty's out calving. What does that mean, and what what do you do to help these cows out to, to make sure that every calf that's born uh, really thrives? Lots of expensive feed. 
<laughs> this year because yeah the, the corn farmer which we we were big corn farmers as well and the, and the cattleman we both can't make money at the same time so um but no just being sure nutritionally they're set up to have plenty of energy to calve and what's calving here at the house or heifers so um it's just it's putting it bluntly it's just kind of like a, a a family's first baby you know mama's in labor for quite a quite a while on the first one and then the second kid might come in an hour uh it's kind of the same way with the heifers we uh we got to watch them pretty close and sometimes they'll run out of energy and and just need a little help if if everything if everything's positioned right so but anymore in our area southern kansas why well, we've got we get warm days and we get cold days and and uh, you just need to be sure you got plenty of plenty of feed out there with some energy in it to to, to give them energy to help calve, and then also that she can, uh, the calf will get up and start nursing right away. I've heard a number, Marty, and I, I, we haven't had cattle now for quite a few years on our farm. We did growing up, and, and we had a cow-calf operation. And I, I remember that, that I had heard this, and it might be wrong, that really they aren't under any stress until it's below 20 degrees at least, if, if you can keep them out of the wind, that they've got plenty of heat. Uh, and I know just being around cattle, I was always warm. <laughs> They're always always putting off lots of heat. Is there a temperature that you'd say is is the worst, or is it more moisture related that that you're worried about weather? I've had calves born when it's oh it was ten below and had a baby calf born. No ears froze, no nothing, but it was dry. Uh, what what when it's in the thirties and forties and raining, that's just about as bad as as snow at twenty degrees. It, they just they lose heat just like we do so fast when they're wet. Uh, and they just get chilled, and and the problem is when you have a baby calf in that condition, if you're not there to help help get it up and dry it off, why it, it doesn't want to get up, and and that can kind of be a problem. Sure, sure. All right, so you got something to keep you busy with here until corn planting, which is probably not too far down the road in Kansas. That would it be mid-April you get started, or when do you start on the corn? No, uh, our insurance dates the twentieth of uh, March. So. Oh wow. Uh, and we're we're dry, which has been great for farming wise. Um, and but we got enough moisture to get the corn up. So uh, you know if it if the weather conditions are right, why we'll be out there insurance day. Outstanding, outstanding. Yeah, we're we're pretty dry here too, but we got we got time. Our insurance date is like April tenth or something here. So so we got a little bit further to go. So is the planter all ready to go, or you got to get through calving season first? No, it's it's ready to go. We just got to do a little bit work on a fertilizer attachment on it and we're going to we're running agro liquid this year and and uh, we've always run some kind of starter but we're going to run agro liquid um and and uh, we got to do a couple of revamp jobs it won't take a day or two to get to get us going now answer this question for me if you don't mind you you mentioned that feed is really high priced right now with the corn price being so high does that force you having cattle in the operation that man i gotta raise more of my corn i just can't possibly afford to have to buy some from somebody else well i we i run it as two separate operations because if i if if the farm sells the corn to me or 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 the elevator it's still got to be accounted for as being sold. So, um, you know, if you, I, I try to keep pretty close tabs on the books. And so if I buy it, I got to treat it just like a sale, uh, on, on the farm. Um, so all of our feeds coming in already pre-made from a, from a mill south of here in Oklahoma. Um, so I, I do got to treat it that way. Yeah. If I, if I didn't treat it that way and had all, I got plenty of corn I could use. Why, 
Uh, yeah, I could get along real well, but you know, farm, farm's got to make it stand on its own and, and with fertilizer prices where they're at, why it needs all the help it can get. That's that's plenty true. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, Marty, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Good luck to you as you finish up cabin season here. Yep. We enjoy your show. Thank you. Oh, you bet. Thanks. Let's head over to Wisconsin. Got Warren on with us right now. Warren, how you doing? Doing good. How about yourself today? We are doing well. We are doing well. It sounds like uh, you guys a little dry over there going into spring. Yeah. So the question I had for you was, we're we're kind of let's say right now we're on month eighteen of drought in our area, something that I've never experienced in my lifetime. Um, with this, we've been a lot dry this long, like this winter. I think we've had eleven inches of snow, you okay. know, with very little moisture last fall. Um, if you go on the ground right now, you can dig in maybe the top six inches or some moisture, but underneath that, it's like last year's crop survived off that subsoil moisture. So there's there's not a lot of moisture underneath for this next year. Question I had was how how do you guys look at planting populations for like corn and beans when you get in this dry of a stretch when you get not like right now, but if it's still this dry, you know, in the middle of April. Yeah. Um, do you start looking at rolling back a certain percentage of your population? I bought a lot of drought guard corn this year, um, a lot of more flex ear corn to try to plant a little lighter populations. Um, in case we do get the rain, you're all flex a little more. But I was kind of curious what you guys have done in the past or, or if you've done anything like that. Okay. Well, I'll spend more of my time talking about the corn. and the soybeans, the good thing is, yep. is the soybeans can self-thin to some degree. So I'm not as okay. much worried about the soybeans. I would probably not be putting out 250,000 per acre or anything crazy like that but I, I'd probably stick around what I'm normally doing on the beans I okay. I like to get a good thick canopy to be able to shade out the ground for weed control but also to, to contain moisture so any moisture that you get you can keep when we thin those populations on beans back too much there's more sunlight that gets through and we see that ground drying out faster so I kind of look at soybeans okay. just a little bit the opposite of corn where I actually like to keep a decent amount of population, not not overly too much, but um, maybe I want to keep a minimum of 125 or 30,000. Uh, if you're doing 160, I'm not scared about that at all or even 180, but, okay. but I wouldn't get too crazy. Uh, on the corn, though, I agree with your thinking here that we could dial things back. And, and I'll be honest, I think in general, as corn farmers across the United States, we're planting too much population, especially in the, the states that raise decent yields. I, I just see too many guys raising in the upper 30s and even 40,000 trying to get 200 or 250 bushel corn. You just don't need that much. We shoot for 7 to 10 bushels per 1,000 seeds that we drop. So if you're dropping 30,000 population, we'd shoot somewhere for a 210 to 300 bushel yield. So if you're not getting over 300 bushel corn, I don't see that you have to go more than 30,000 population. So that that's okay. how I look at it. And if you say, well, Darren, I got this drought-stressed field that, you know what, we might get the rain and I've got flex ears to kind of go after it, great. So maybe you shoot for the, um, hey, I'm going to put 30,000 out there and, and if it's a bad year, I get 210. If it's a great year, I get 300. That That's kind of the, the rule of thumb I would use. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Appreciate that. You bet. Uh, so how how are things going as you're getting all these inputs? Uh, what did you do on nitrogen then in a drought year like this? Are you are you planning on I'm going to have to side dress? I'm not going to get too carried away with what I put down. Um, I would say I didn't vary too much from my plan. Um, we're on lighter soils here, um, so I kind of spoon feed my nitrogen anyways. Okay. Um, so yeah, I I tried to book some. I got a lot of it booked ahead of time. 
so I started buying stuff like last summer. Awesome, <laughs> um, awesome. Get, getting a little on hand and like my fall fertility, I got, you know, potash and phosphorus, everything all down in the fall. I paid for that actually right after your field day. I kind of was like, I need to get some of this stuff booked. So, yep. um, while it was still a lot higher, it's nowhere near what it is now. Um, that nitrogen is definitely a big shocker in price. Um, but you know, I try to put down my AMS early, you know, in the, in the spring and try to carry the crop inside dress and put them down with the planter and, you know, so sure. trying, trying some different items. To well, I like your strategy spread it though. Out over time. Yeah. Spread it out. And if, uh, if we don't get much rain, that gives you a lot more chance to catch a little bit of moisture and get that fertilizer available. No doubt about that. Well, Hey Warren, thank yeah. you so much. Really appreciate the call and, and hope to see you at our field day again this summer. Definitely will. All right. Take care. You bet. You're listening to ag PhD radio. We'll be right back. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to eastern Minnesota. Got Tom with us right now. Uh, Tom, how are you doing? We're doing well today. The weather is changing again, you know. It's 31 when I got up, and it's 19 now, so... <laughs> <laughs> we had the same we had the same thing here we're down to 14 i just looked before the show today and i looked at uh, tonight we're supposed to get a little bit below zero our wind chills five below with this wind we got so you got that heading your way well, yeah she's gonna bite us <laughs> but, but i guess that's i guess that's why we live here we enjoy the change yeah it's it's winter in the north but you know what spring's coming quick are you all set for spring you got everything on hand yet or still got a lot to do uh, no, we're pretty well. We started buying chemicals and that and crop protection stuff uh, back last August and have got most of that on hand. Got a little bit there. We are taking delivery of around the 1st of April and uh, got most of the nitrogen on hand. Um, put on quite a bit of potash last fall. So seed has been ordered. Hopefully all is kosher. You never know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> No, I know it. It's there's just so many details, and I, I love it when uh, we get feedback from our non-farm listeners. They're like, "Man, there's a lot of things that go into this, isn't it? We just thought it was dump some seed in a planter and go." And uh-uh, no, those planters have so many moving parts and and wearable parts on them uh, that that that's a challenge. And then yeah, dialing up all this fertility, especially at these prices, is is not easy. Did you change a lot, or are you kind of sticking with your normal plan in terms of fertility and crop mix? Uh, pretty well sticking with our normal plan. <clears throat> we had a bunch of oats in two years ago. We didn't put anything down last year, and we got a pretty good food-grade oat contract again this year, awesome. scaring us in the face. So we're so we're going to plant a bunch of that. Uh, <clears throat> going to plant it on the field that we've got to do a little conservation work on. Got some uh, got some tile we need to put in it and that sort of thing. So that'll give us a a couple two three days of midsummer work before we uh after we get the oats off so that stuff will be cleaned up so you're not doing that in either the spring or the fall seems to go a lot better in the middle of the summer when you got days that doesn't get dark till nine ten o'clock and it's light at five you can get a lot more done absolutely absolutely okay so i know in your part of the state tar spot started moving in this year in the corn did you happen to see that in your area at all we did not. I pointed an agronomist and that a couple of times, my seed salesman out there, and he said, I'm not finding it. He said, it's around, but he said, I'm not finding it in your stuff. I, <clears throat> we've been lucky so far. So, so some places it, it really took a hit. I'm not sure what the common denominator is, um, whether it's uh, hybrid, hybrid selection, timing, fertility. Um, I'm sure they all play a part, but uh, I don't, I don't, I'm, we haven't seen it yet. Let's just put it that way. That's good. Let's keep it so that way. <laughs> we hope so. That's uh, darn sure. We how, hope so. How about on the oats? What do you what do you see for challenges there? Are weeds the tough thing, or disease, or, or what? What do you have to do to have a good oat crop? I, I think uh, fungicide application is is key anymore to to, to combat the rust. Um, I think we're we're up to about three bushel of, of uh, seed uh, to the acre now, around 100 pounds. Uh, getting a good dense stand so we get uniform tillering. Um, so we we like to plant a shorter oats, kind of stay away from fields that have had much manure history, and uh, so you don't get that big, long, lanky, lazy oat. 
and then uh, we can cut it with a regular regular uh, draper head or, or an auger head, uh, cutting it straight. Uh, try to take it a little, you know, 12, 13, 14 moisture. Uh, put it in a bin, air it, let it go through a sweat uh, because of their after test weight. And that uh, I have a tendency to combine oats just a little bit dirty and then uh, run it through a screener coming out because we uh, we can feed the uh, feed the screenings and we can even use some of the screenings uh, pin oats and that kind of stuff for cover crop seed if we need to. Sure. And that so we kind of get kind of get the best of both worlds. There's some pretty pretty good oat varieties out there. We're seeing uh, they got a new one out that came out of South Dakota, I believe it was Rushmore. Really a tremendous oat, big heavy test weight, big plump kernel. Uh, Rains and saddle for early varieties are are. Um, are, are, are pretty strong in this area on the guys that are, are raisins and oats and that sort of stuff, kind of leaning more towards the earlier varieties so they don't get quite as tall, don't go down quite as bad, get a little wider window of harvest. Uh, always always going back onto bean ground or something like that, staying away from corn ground with, with oats. Uh, sure. Using kind of a real moderate type fertility program on them and that's so they don't get that long and lanky and lazy. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's that's all good stuff. I, I love. I can hear the passion. You're really enjoying this oat thing. Are they looking for more acres? Is this something where you say uh, I can make a legitimate three crop rotation here on my farm? We had a gentleman come to a group of us here in the neighborhood. <clears throat> We're looking for a hundred thousand bushel, and uh, he figured that was going to probably take. He's in a, a, roughly twelve hundred acres, and uh, pretty decent contract on it um he doesn't cap us on our on anything going over on it uh, so we've got a pretty good guarantee on it uh, but they want quality you have you have to have quality you get you got to have test weight the bottom end of it is 38 they will take some 36 a little discount but they like it in that 40 41 areas where they're where they really shine at they're getting to be a, a pretty good demand in the food grade business for for oats uh whether it be snack foods cereals milk all that kind of stuff. There's that market is is growing, and and they're looking for growers uh, this year. You know, with Canada being so dry, they didn't uh, they didn't get much out of Canada for oats, and uh, they hate importing it because it's so expensive to bring that stuff. The logistics just drive right, them nuts. Right. And, and that sort of thing. You start importing that stuff out of Europe or someplace like that, and it's just the logistics just drive them wacky. The logistics just just in our everyday operation between fuel and grain and and seed and that sort of thing is enough to drive you crazy anymore. Is there such a shortage of truck drivers and stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's, you know? that's absolutely I mean, that's right. Just, I mean, even even parts, you know, whether you get speedy or whether you get UPS and, and that kind of stuff, well, you know, it'll be tomorrow because we don't have enough drivers today. <laughs> so that's just, uh, I guess it's a new a new challenge that we have to work with. Yep, it sure is. Yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting year once again, no doubt about that. Well, Tom, that's about the most oats talk that we've had on our show for a while. I really appreciate that. That was excellent. We we grew up, uh, Brian and I, we always had a little bit of oats, and, and we were targeting, well, we had a livestock operation. We were targeting the feed value, but also the straw, and I know my dad took a lot of pride in. At that time, it was weed control. He's like, man, if we're really fussy on the weed control, we got just great-looking bales, and we had a few neighbors that would buy a few bales off us all the time too which was kind of fun for brian and me uh tossing a bunch of bales and that kind of thing but uh but boy i like this idea of food grade oats much better i i like oatmeal and uh that would be a good way for me to get it 
Well, that's what we've seen with oats and water hemp. You know, you get a good dense, thick stand of oats, uh, water hemp don't stand a chance. It just kind of, it just doesn't compete with it because it doesn't get the sunlight and it doesn't get a chance to start. And that's kind of, you know, if you pick some fields that you've got some of those issues with and you haven't been, haven't had much of a rotation in them for a couple of years, it kind of seems like a no-brainer because I think we pick up a good 20 bushel of, of corn behind an oat crop. Uh, it just, it just, and then that ground is so mellow. You can plant, you can no-till into it, and it's just, it's better than a garden because it's just crumbly, flaky. Uh, corn emerges uniformly, and it's kind of a home run. Well, we did a bunch of oats as cover crop this fall, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But, yeah, the soil condition just looks fantastic, so we're pretty excited to see what this spring brings. I'll well, bet you'll find planting into that is going to be pretty nice. <laughs> outstanding. That's good to hear. Well, we kind of debated about it a little bit, and I wanted to do a little bit more of it than Brian did, and that's been the fun thing about farming with your brother as well. Okay, let's try it a little bit that way and try it a little bit the other way, and we'll see see which one uh, we like better. And I don't know, when by the time we got to the end of the fall and we had a few fall rains, and Brian was, Brian was starting to come around on the idea. So we'll, we'll see, Tom. We may, may just have more oats well, in our future too. Well, you know, Janelle mentioned that, and I said, one of your brothers has got kind of a strong personality. Said, well, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> All right. We better leave it at that, Tom. Hey, thank you so much. Great talking to you. Good luck. You're heading into the spring. Have a good one. Bye. You bet. Talking a little PhD radio, and we'll be right back after this. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer amaranth and water hemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. 
Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got our friend Kurt on over in Minnesota right now. Kurt, how are you doing? Real good. So what are you working with today? What are you working on today, I should say? Uh, this morning I was uh, reviewing some of my uh, soil samples that I had gotten taken but the results didn't get back till real late this fall or actually early winter and uh so i was looking at a few of those things and this afternoon paying bills and taking care of odds and ends well paying bills is no fun this year because they're big they're really big yes they are especially the fertilizer bill but thankfully i had prepaid most of that so it wasn't as bad how about manure? Do you get enough manure to offset a lot of that, too? I don't anymore. I had livestock up until, well, a year ago, we'll say. And so I'm out of the hog business now, and so, no, I don't have any manure anymore. So, well, the fun um, thing... Bill paying time, I miss that. <laughs> well, the fun time, uh, the fun thing is you're looking through those soil samples, and I know for our farm, you can sure see where the manure got applied over the years. There's a lot of good things that, that result in the soil. Were, were there any things on your soil samples that you'd say, man, uh, here's a challenge that I, I got to try and overcome here over the next year or two? I've been working on them for a few years now, and so uh, I've gotten my calcium basic calcium down some it's still got to go a ways but it's not as bad i used to have a lot of 90 percent wow uh i've gotten them into the we'll say into the mid 80s so it's coming around but it's gonna take a little more time to get them down uh and of course i had high ph because of the calcium and so that's coming down too well i got some calcium that was self-inflicted I, I got a brother that got a little bit addicted to lime there and just was impatient putting more lime on and uh that that was no fun but at, at least we figured out what the problem was before we did it to any more acres you you've got just a lot of calcium naturally in your area don't you i do and uh that all of those spots were completely natural um i would say a 
approximately 15% to 20% of my ground does still require lime, but they're small spots and, you know, smaller areas. So I have to come back and do some liming in the next year, but uh, that's small areas. All right. Uh, I got tons of questions for you, and I don't want to bug you too much today, but uh, you know, as, as you're looking at, at fixing things up, you've been building soils for years. Uh, what have you seen? What have you seen with yields on your farm as you've been going? Have you seen just a steady progression or have you, you hit any plateaus that you're trying to break through? For the most part, it's been a steady progression. Uh, the weather in uh, 19 and 20 uh, costed us some bushels and made it a little harder. Uh, we had actually had a small setback. Last year's weather wasn't great, but I would say even though we only had a oh five inches of rain during the major part of the growing season, corn yields were still only off ten percent of average. So, wow. And I think I think because of the fertility and the strip till that I do, uh, I think. Those two things help me, we'll say drought-proof. You know, the strip-till, one of the things, Kurt, that a lot of guys talk about is what kind of root systems they get in the strip-till. What have you noticed? Uh, They're definitely bigger, fuller uh, root balls, we'll say. Uh, And then we do a few in-furrow things that uh, really increase the amount of root hairs and so my our root balls when i was digging them up last year uh, i was very happy with them they were large thick round they weren't mohawked or anything like that and a lot of fine hairs yeah it's it's fun when you get digging around in the crop and seeing all these little differences and uh, and I've had a chance to get to know Kurt over the years and just just seeing him pay attention to details and just focus on, okay, I got a problem. I'm just going to keep going after it and going after it, and it'll eventually come down. He's got a lot more patience than my brother does. Kurt, it'd, be more, it'd probably be more fun farming with you than Brian some days, but um, but it is it is sure neat seeing, uh, seeing how you're bringing things along. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing a little time with us today, and good luck here heading into the spring. No problem. Thank you. You bet. I had a question come in from Kevin over in Iowa, and Kevin said, uh, got actually got a couple of questions for you here on nutrients. First of all, he said, talking about lime, I'm curious, how long does it take until you see the calcium numbers go up on a soil test after applying lime? We've got CECs anywhere from 14 to 22, so we've got kind of medium textured soils, and we've applied We've applied calcitic lime to fix our pH uh, back in the fall of 2020. And since our base saturation was below 65% and a majority of our pHs were in the fives, uh, we thought we'd pull soil tests again this fall, uh, so a year later. And our calcium parts per million increased some, but not near the 65% or better base saturation that we're striving for. I'm curious, should we... Expect parts per million in a soil test to increase more over the next few years. I know it takes a few years to change the soil pH after liming. Just wondering if all the calcium that was applied uh, with and in the lime shows up parts per million-wise shortly after it's been applied or if that also steadily changes over the years. Okay, that was question number one. So let's start with the, the calcium. 
You're right on the money, Kevin. It takes a few years for that lime to fully express. And here's one of the challenges. If you don't get much moisture, it takes a little bit longer. So I would look at a few things. First of all, rain. If you get a little bit more rain and that, that lime can move down through your soil, if you've got good drainage and, and good porosity in the soil, you can change things a little quicker. Uh, if you've got warm weather longer, I mean, you're you're in Iowa, it's going to freeze at some point. So if you get long falls and early springs, those things can help you make things happen faster. Um, and, and like I mentioned with drainage and porosity, getting movement down in the soil is important. And then really the big thing is going to be the fineness of the calcium product. So if it's making it all through a hundred mesh screen, you're going to see things happen a lot quicker than if it was just getting through a 60 mesh screen screen. So do take a look at the fineness of that product to kind of see what your expectations should be. But yes, I would expect over three years, you're going to see those numbers continue to move. And then after three years, you're, you're kind of at where you're at uh, with, with normal rainfall and conditions. Okay. Second question that Kevin's got. So what are your thoughts about applying 450 to 600 pounds of DAP six inches deep in a strip till application for corn. The goal is to cover our phosphorus nutrient removal needs for three years. So year one, we'd strip till with a large DAP application into standing corn stalks in the fall and plant corn in the spring, then plant no-till beans a few inches over the next year, then plant no-till corn over near the previous year's bean rows, and then in year four, start the program again. Just wonder, would we be safe in year one as far as crop injury, uh, knowing what our CECs are? We've added some pretty big doses like that before. If you're if if you've got more buffer to to uh, have soil between where those roots are going to be and so forth, you're putting it in the strip till. Um, you should be fine, I would think. If you haven't tried it before and you're really worried about it, try it on a small scale so you don't hurt a whole bunch of crop. Uh, maybe you try one field that way and see if that's a good program, and then next year you get a lot better idea. Would be my suggestion. But it's certainly up to you. I think you're going to be just fine. We've put a ton of phosphorus out there, but you know, of course, you can have super dry conditions like we had in our area really the last year and a half, and that creates more stress. But for the most part, I think you're going to be just fine. I think the other thing you're going to need to do, though, is just look at, all right, that 450 to 600 pounds, what are my yield goals in corn and soybeans? And if I kill it this year with... 250 plus bushel corn and then I, I have a great year with my soybeans and I'm raising 80 bushel beans, how much is going to be left? You'll have to kind of run the calculation on that. Um, one other comment I'd make in terms of the strip till is if you're putting it on and spreading it throughout that strip, you're going to have a better safety factor than if you're putting it on with a shank and dropping it in one spot. Just something to think about, but I think your program is going to work just fine. Thanks, Kevin. We really appreciate the comment and the kind words in your email as well. Well, thanks for listening to our program today. Always enjoy Farmer Fridays. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.